Let me ask you to turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a giant of a psalm. It has a giant commentary and studies done of it in Spurgeon's Treasury of David, uh, which is a commentary on the psalms. He devoted 349 pages just to this one psalm. Uh, That's virtually a book in itself. Thomas Manton, a Puritan, wrote a three-volume commentary on this psalm alone. And that uh, was some 1,677 pages. So it's huge. Uh, We're going to look at one section. Now, the form of this psalm also is uh, interesting in this. It's uh, what we call an acrostic psalm. And uh, what that means is it takes the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, 22 of them, and uh, has a section for each of those letters. And uh, your Bible may say, for instance, uh, at the beginning of the psalm, above the first verse, Aleph. That's the A. And all of those verses, uh, 1 through 8, in the Hebrew begin with the Aleph, uh, the A in the Hebrew. And uh, the second section, which is what we will look at, is uh, Beth, the, the B. And uh, so that's how the psalm is laid out, very interesting, uh, poetic way. Virtually all of the verses, with the exception of four or five in this entire psalm, are about the Word of God. So I I could have picked many of the sections of this psalm, but I want us to look beginning with verse 9, Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we ask now that in these very few moments, you would open up your word. You would help us to grasp what you yourself have told us about it. Open our ears and our minds and our hearts to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll permit me to uh, 
give you a brief parable. A young man has never met his father, never seen him, only heard about him. It's hard because he he wants to know about him. That's his heart's desire, but he doesn't really know how to find out about him. He knows in his house is a room that was his father's room, his special place. And so he goes in that room, and he finds out a great deal. He looks around, and he sees various sports memorabilia, ticket stubs, trophies, souvenir baseballs, autographs, finds out a little bit more about what interested his father. Then he sees the the stereo, and so he walks over to the stereo, and there he looks at the CDs, and he finds some classical CDs, some jazz, some blues, some rock. And he finds out a little bit more about things that his father liked to listen to. On the other side of the room, he sees the bookshelf. And so he goes over to the bookshelf, and there he finds, uh, of course, some books on sports. He finds a Bible, some commentaries, some cookbooks, some travel books. He finds out a little bit more about his father. He sits in his chair and he can see out the window uh, the, the view that his father evidently liked to have because that's where his chair was facing. And he finds a little bit more out about his father. But he wants to know more. That's all that did. And so he goes and he he tells his mother, tell me about my father. And she does. She talks about their relationship, talks about his personality, tells some funny stories, some sad stories. She talks about some things that he, he never could have found out in that room, but he found out because of how close she was. She knew him better than anyone else. But again, after that, he just wanted to know more. And she said, well, you know what? There is one more thing. There's this journal he wrote. You're welcome to read it. And so, so the, the young man took the journal, and he sat down in his father's chair, and he read through the journal. And he found out way more than he found out just by observing in the room and even by talking to the one who knew him best. And he read the journal cover to cover. And as he read it, not only did he find out many of the things confirmed that he thought about his father, but but on every page, he also recognized how much 
his father loved him. And so that journal was so precious to him. He read it over and over again to the point where there were sections of the journal that he could practically recite because they meant so much to him. Anytime he later on thought about his father, he would go back to the journal. If he, if he wondered again, how much did he love me? He could go to that journal and he would see again. And it reassured him every time he went back to the journal. Finally, it made him want to go be with his father. And eventually, he did and was able to stay with him. Now, that's just a parable. I want to interpret it for you. It's pretty transparent. But like parables in the Scripture, you can't press it for detail, but but there are some major truths there, and they are truths that I have taken from this portion of Psalm 119. Now, I told you uh, a couple of weeks ago in terms of this series that I didn't necessarily uh, uh, pick the order of the subjects of the making of a disciple. Uh, It wasn't according to descending order of importance or anything like that, but I specifically did pick the Word of God and a focus upon the Word of God as a disciple for our anniversary Sunday. This church has always stood upon that. In fact, this church was born out of a love for the Word of God. And it is always right for us to reaffirm that And to remember why, why the Word of God is so important to us. And certainly, in terms of being a disciple, it is essential that we not only know about it, but we know it and we practice what the Word of God tells us. Now, I want us, we're going to look at these verses one by one, very quickly, obviously, And so I want to jump right into it. If you look at verse 9, we see that God's Word gives uh, practical help for life. That's why it's essential for us as disciples. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. Now, it begins with this rhetorical question, and then it answers the question. So I, I guess that's not really a rhetorical question, but it's a... It is one in the sense of uh, not really asking you. He's going to tell you how a young man, a young woman can keep their way pure. How do we achieve it? Well, ask yourself, what do you think our world today would say? How are you going to keep your way pure as a young man or a young woman? 
it's my contention our world won't even ask that question. Because our world today typically would say, look, you're young. Don't worry about keeping your way pure. Just be safe. Get through it. And then later on, you can settle down when you get older. But everybody has these times of impurity, and so in our world, even to talk about purity seems so passe and impractical and naive. Well, the Bible doesn't permit us to go that route. It is what ought to be sought. Decisions from youth form habits that guide us from that point on, and they are hard to break. I see far too many in my office who are dealing as adults with patterns that they set as young people. And they weren't addressed then. And they will be at some point. And so, the question comes, what do we do? Well, we believe the Word of God is so important for our young people. How does a young man, a young woman keep their way pure? We are convinced that knowing the Word of God is a key in that. You realize that if your child grows up in this church with our present curriculum, if they start Sunday school at the age of two, they're in the nursery and then they start Sunday school at the age of two, by the time they're in the sixth grade, they will have been through the Bible three times. That's important. We are so convinced it is important. Now, that's not all there is, just head knowledge, obviously. We never stop at that, but that is where it begins, is teaching the beauty and the joy of the Word of God. Now, later verses here are going to answer the question that's begged here, and that's how do we live according to that Word. Now, look at verse 10. There's two sides of holy living. It says this, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Now this shows two aspects in holy living. Now I'm not saying there's two aspects in terms of uh, salvation, but I am talking about it in terms of our Christian walk, our being a disciple. When it comes to salvation, we don't cooperate with God. He does everything beginning to end when it comes to achieving salvation for us. It's all Him. But once we are saved, there's an ongoing aspect where we must be active, even though He still must work in us. Notice how he puts the parallel there, the psalmist. With my whole heart I seek you. That's our side. But then, let me not wander. In other words, I need you so that I can go this way. It's like Paul said in Colossians. He said, to this end I labor, 
is Colossians 1.29. To this end I labor, struggling with all his, his energy, which so powerfully works in me. <laughs> so it's, to this end I labor. So I'm laboring as hard as I can, struggling with his energy that works in me. That's the two sides of, of this growth in Christ. You see the balance? I labor, but it's his energy. And there's the same parallel here. My whole heart, I seek, let me not wander. Now look at verse 11. Look at the discipline of memory and how it provides protection. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. William Cooper said this. Now, this is old language, but I want you to follow it because there's so much truth in this. If thou would have in thy mouth uh, only, it shall be taken from thee. If thou have it in thy book only, thou shalt miss it when thou hast most to do with it. But if thou lay it up in thy heart, as Mary did the words of the angel, no enemy shall ever be able to take it from thee, and thou shalt find it a comfortable treasure in the time of need. I saw that fairly recently. After one of my mom's surgeries, she was still at that point of trying to recover from the anesthesia and so on and not really communicating with us. And I was sitting in her hospital room and I heard, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And she went through the entire Psalm 23. She wasn't uh, uh, even talking to us at that point. And yet, as Cooper says, thou shalt find it a comfortable treasure in the time of thy need. My mom's 92. I asked her yesterday, she didn't even remember that, but I asked her, I said, Mom, when did you learn Psalm 23, and she said, oh, I was just a little girl. My Sunday school teacher, and she named her teacher, it was Rosie somebody, she taught it to us. Oh, what reward Rosie must be having because of her faithful teaching of a child so long ago. It's so much easier to memorize when you're young, and again, we at St. Andrews have decided to go against what many are going for in terms of children's ministry. Many have said, oh, you know, we don't do memory work anymore. That's passe. We say, you know, until the, the Bible itself changes, which it won't, it's not passe. It's what we are commanded to do. Now, our children will have fun in Sunday school and on Wednesday night. They do. They always run to classes and, you know, generally, and, uh, and they're excited about it. But they also are memorizing Scripture. And I trust someday 
in their time of need, it will come to them. When I was in fourth grade in a public school in El Paso, Texas, we did a Christmas program. And there, we as a class, this was back, I guess, when you could do that or nobody complained or something. We as a class for a Christmas program for the whole school memorized Luke 2, 8 through 20, fourth graders. And I could recite it to you now. Only in the King James, but I I could do it. And that's a good 20 or so years ago. It's still with me. Now look at verse 12. Uh, God himself is the lesson giver. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. The reformers like Luther and Calvin believed, and I believe they were right on point, that the only way to know God is by his self-revelation, by his word. But without his spirit enabling us to understand. We won't grasp the meaning. That's why we've got to go to him to be taught the statutes. Now, the psalmist is about to give us four exercises to help us master the scripture. The first exercise, verse 13, is repeating what we know to be true. Verse 13, with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. I talk about it. Think about the beginning of football season, last week, college season. How easy it was for you to strike up a conversation about football. How easy it is when you get together immediately to jump in to that conversation. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But we'll really know that we're growing as a disciple and we are full of him when it becomes just as natural to talk about the things of the Lord as it does to talk about football or baseball or our yards or the weather. When those things flow from our lips and we don't have to force it, we will know that God is giving us a mind of repeating what we know to be true, declaring those things with our mouth. And then verse 14. Look at the joy of following God's ways. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Now that's the second exercise, practicing rejoicing and realizing the worth of what we possess. The other night on, uh, I think it's uh, American Movie Channel, they show these old black and white movies from way back. They had a whole evening. They do these themes, and they had a whole evening of uh, movies about people that got rich, Million Dollar Baby and Brewster's Millions and, and things like that, and, and people were giving away money and things like that. And, you know, when you see those things, it's, it's hard not to think about, boy, what, what would I do with that kind of money? And here the psalmist is saying, you know what? Your way, your worth is more precious to me than that. Than thinking about any of that, than lusting after any of that. 
the psalmist is saying, that's how I look at God's word. I got to admit, I'm not always there. A lot of the time, I'm not. I do read the Bible every day. I'm not bragging about that. It's just a discipline that I have tried to work on for years. And I use the one-year Bible. It's, it's not the only way to do it. It just is a way that has helped me for many years to know that I've read through the Bible at least once every year. But I have to say this. There are too many mornings when I sit down and I read it like I would the morning paper. I'm still going to do it. I still think it's important. But too many days when I just take it for granted and I'm not grabbing after it like that journal in our parable that's going to tell me more about the Father. That's what we've got to be reminded of. There's a third exercise. Look at verse 15, and that's practicing the art of thinking. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your way. Now, that's taking what we have read and memorized, and it's turning it over and over in our minds. I'm always thrilled when somebody uh, later in the week says something about a sermon that I preach on Sunday. Now, I have to admit, if I give you kind of a blank look, it's because I'm already way into the next sermon and I'm trying to think back, what, what did I say back then? But isn't that what this is talking about? Taking what, what God's Word says and just mulling it over and, and thinking about it and going back to it in, in the positive sense. And there's a promise here, verse 16. I'll delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This delight, this word here, is, it's a settled pleasure. It's a fourth exercise. Is deter- to determine not to neglect God's word. Forgetting or neglecting God's word, there's several forms it could come of. Not bringing it to worship. Now, I'm not going to have you, Ray, hold up your Bibles if you've got it with you. Some of you would be embarrassed because you don't have your Bibles. You got your cell phones, but you don't have your Bibles. I know you got your cell phones. And really? wonder why we don't do that. Like so many of us who were in church growing up did. You know, when you get a star or something, we'll do that. If that will help, we'll give you stars. Bringing it with us for worship and for Wednesday night and for Sunday school. It's God's Word. And then just not reading it any other time or reading it and not heeding it. Those are all ways we can neglect God's Word. Recently, I did a funeral for Bobby Head. And when it's a a member of the church, when it's possible, I I ask if I can see their, their Bible. 
I, they gave me Bobby's Bible to look through and almost every verse that I used in the meditation for her funeral was highlighted in her Bible. Her Bible was well used even though it was a newer one for her. Now this is, this is not uh, to compliment her but to challenge you. What will your Bible look like at the end of your life? Now, I don't want you to just run home today and mark it up just in case something happens to you and, and Dale's going to ask for it and, you know. I... In fact, it doesn't matter what I think. But what would the father think about the journal he left for us? Whether we ignored it or loved it and treasured it, not because we worship the Bible, but because they are his words to us. Think back to the, the parable. My own dad wasn't one to, to stay up late, but... In 1999, he started staying up late after my mom every night, and he took a yellow pad of paper, and he started writing down memories. Some were about his childhood, but most of them were about his service. He was a career in the Army, National Guard. In fact, it began in Columbia, South Carolina, Fort Jackson in 1940. And he wrote down things every night, his memories and where he had been and things he felt and things like that every night for many nights. And then he told me about it. And I said, well, I'd love to see that, Dad. And then I, I asked his permission. I said, would it be okay if I type this up for you and, and give it to my brother and sister? And so I did that. I went through all those handwritten pages of that yellow pad and uh, wrote them down on Christmas Day, gave them to my brother and my sister and my mom. My mom said, you know what, I... I found out things about him I didn't even know. And at that point, they had been married 58 years. <laughs> Three months after that Christmas day, my dad went home to be with the Lord. Now, that journal was valuable to me. But at that point, it became even more valuable. And I've looked back at it a, a number of times. It's a treasure because he's not here now. Now, when it comes to our Father who's in heaven, he gave us the, this great room we could see, all of creation, and we can find out a lot about him, but he got a whole lot more specific by sending Jesus, the living word, the one who knew him better than anyone else, who told us about him. But then, 
he went away. And so he left his journal, his word, for us. The Bible, the scripture, is absolutely necessary. As we enter into our 27th year of existence as a church, let's recommit ourselves to be the people of the word. Let's be a church where every member is carrying a Bible to worship and to Sunday school and to Wednesday night so that when visitors come in, they say, you know what? These people take the word seriously. These people at St. Andrews. And they know a little more about our history because they see how seriously we take the word. And may our promise be that of the psalmist. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's bow together.